All right, guys. So what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Top Waffler. Uh, just for some clarification, this is being recorded on uh, September 1st. So we're almost on the first round of the NBA. We are halfway done the second round of the NHL. And some second round series have started in the NBA too. And uh, the English Premier League is scheduled to start next Saturday as well. So yeah, I'm sure if you've listened to the first podcast, you've heard my absolutely horrendous predictions for the first round of both sports. So we'll spend some time going over those. We'll look at second round predictions for both the NHL and the NBA as well. Uh, and then we'll set we'll tee off what I would do if I was in charge of the Calgary Flames heading into this, this crucial um, off season for us as it's going to be a big one to determine where we head going forward. So, I mean, without further ado, let's take a look at my predictions. So, um, in the NBA, I had the Lakers beating Portland in seven, and, I mean, that looked pretty good after game one when they lost, but then they just steamrolled their way through. So, um, as with any prediction that I got wrong here I'll hold my hands up high and you know I'll admit I'll admit fully that I was wrong and on that one yeah I just uh, over overestimated the power of the Blazers and how how tough they would be but uh they were really no issue for LeBron and the Lakers um at OKC in five which I mean OKC could still win the series tomorrow in game seven but as of now that prediction's wrong so not the best of looks yet but here is one that I predicted. Bang on accurate amount of games too. Nuggets and seven. Just got finished watching game seven about an hour ago. It was a good game. Jamal Murray went off, man. Proud Canadian right there. Canadian boy. Let's go. Jamal Murray. And uh, yeah, it was a fun series to watch. That's going to be a good one going in around two. Uh, we had Clippers in five. I mean, off by one game. Luka was fucking sick though. Amazing play by Luka Doncic. And, uh, yeah, fuck Marcus Morris. He's a bitch. But, yeah, without – yeah, so um, Clippers in five, I got that wrong. It was Clippers in six. But, yeah, big up Luca. Fuck Marcus Morris. I hope somebody takes him out. And uh, moving on to the East, we had the Bucks in four. And I remember I talked mad shit about the Orlando Magic. And that just, I guess, looked pretty stupid after game one. But, I mean, the following four games, it was just – it was a gentleman sweep, so – I won't say I'm too wrong on that, but like, yeah, after what I said, I would I expected a Milwaukee like blowout through four games, but I five's close enough. Um, had the Heat in seven. I overestimated the Indiana Pacers way too much. T.J. Warren fell back down to earth. Jimmy Butler was just lights out, and um, yeah, knowing uh, having Demontis Sabonis in fantasy, I underestimated his like his absence from the series way too much. The Pacers just we're not there and then the one the one prediction that I knew I was like way off on was the Sixers and seven that was just more of a hope because I wanted the Raptors to avoid playing the Celtics in the second round so um I knew the Celtics were going to win that series but I I went with my heart there and chose the uh, Sixers and seven and that was very wrong and then um Raps in five I'm actually really surprised we got a sweep. I thought for sure we would have lost one game. But um, obviously, I'll take a sweep. First ever sweep in franchise history. So um, no issue there. Um, But yeah, so looking back on it, I correctly predicted six of the seven teams that have advanced so far. 
It could be seven out of eight if OKC beats Houston tomorrow night. But six out of eight correctly um, predicted teams, along with getting one prediction bang on with the Nuggets in seven. Not bad, honestly. I'm normally really terrible at these, but um, I'll, I'll take that. Six out of eight with one bang on prediction. And uh, now we move on to the NHL, recapping those predictions. And um, it was uh, pretty pretty close to the NBA, too. Similar in terms of the correct teams that advanced, but um, in terms of bang on predictions, it wasn't really there. So uh, I had Vegas in four, and uh, Chicago took one game, I think, or two. I actually don't remember now. I believe it was just one. I think Vegas won in five. And, uh, I mean, credit to Chicago, you know. They won one game against the powerhouse. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not too off there. One game difference. Had uh, Colorado taken Arizona out in five, and they did it with, like, back-to-back 7-1 wins so convincingly. And, yeah, so bang on with that one. I uh, had the Vancouver Canucks in seven games. Partially right. They took St. Louis out in six. And, uh, you know, it's good for the Canucks, man. They're a good team, uh, as much as it sucks to say. PD, Besser, Quinn Hughes, they're, if they re-sign Markstrom, they're going to have a solid, solid group going forward. But, yeah, so I was off on one game there. Uh, and then coming to my team now, I regret this prediction so much. I should have stuck with my superstition. For the qualifiers, I had the Jets in four. And I should have done the same thing. Should have predicted the Stars, so I would have been ready for a Flames loss. But had they won, I would have been happily surprised. Instead, I had the Flames in seven, and I mean, if you watch hockey, you know how that went. It looked promising at the start of the series, and then in game six, you know, it looks like we're going to take it to a game seven. We give up a 3 nothing lead, and it's just it's just a shambles all around, and it's the Stars in six. So fully wrong there on the team. That's one of the teams I got wrong in the, in the NHL. And then, so moving to the Eastern Conference, I had the Flyers in five. Uh, they ended up winning in six. Credit to Montreal there as like the 24th overall team in the NHL. They, they took a series to six games, which is, you know, pretty good for them. Uh, Tampa in seven. I thought that Columbus would, uh, you know, put up a bit more of a fight, win more games, especially considering they came off a five-game series with Toronto. But um, I was wrong there. And, you know, Tampa just completely especially with that 5 OT game man that was crazy that was insane but yeah uh, Tampa just you know steamrolled through them pretty much apart from the game they lost and vindication from last year a bit of revenge uh, had the Islanders in 6 they got off to a 3 nothing lead and then <laughs> one in uh, 5 games total but I, I had them but I'm still surprised that the Caps folded that easily like Washington's just two years removed from winning a Stanley Cup. It's not been that long. And I'm honestly a bit shocked about that. And, you know, since then, Washington's fired Todd Reardon, their head coach as well. And there's rumors that they're going after Peter Laviolette, which would be a good fit because Laviolette's taken the good. He's won a cup with the Canes in 06. He took the Flyers to the cup finals in 2010 when they lost to the Hawks in six. And he took Nashville to the cup finals in 17 when they lost in uh, six to Pittsburgh. So he's, he's successful. And I'd say of those three teams there that he's taken to the cup finals, he's never, if he gets the job in Washington, he would have never had as talented as a forward group that he is going to have. 
with Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, TJ Oshie, Jacob Verana as well, and, um, you know, Tom Wilson, if you want to include him in there as well. Uh, but, yeah, so a bit surprised, although I had the Islanders winning. I certainly didn't expect it to be as kind of one-sided as it was and as dominant as it was. But it's um, I guess good to see changes in Washington, and they're not, uh, they're not taking any of that, having such a deflating playoff performance, especially after getting knocked out last year, too, in the first round. And, um, yeah, so then my last prediction was the Hurricanes in six. I really thought they had what it took to take Boston out. And it looked better, too, after Tuka Rask left the bubble for completely understandable reasons. And if you do not agree with those reasons at all, you are a scum and you're a terrible human being. He left for family reasons. In a time like this, that's completely understandable. Sports is nothing. And um, if you badmouth Tuka at all, you're a scumbag. But, uh but yeah, so back to the prediction part. It looked good after that too, you know, Canes and six. The series was tied at one, I'm pretty sure, and then um, ended up winning three straight with Yarhalak and the net twos to go on and take it 4-1. And um, yeah, so that set up the second round being Vegas, Vancouver, Colorado, Dallas, um, Tampa Bay, Boston, Philly, New York Islanders. And so even though the round is done for one series and the other three series are going to game six, um, I'll go through what my predictions were for them and whether I'm right or wrong so far on the series that has ended. So in the West, anyways, I had Vegas in six, which, I mean, looks entirely possible because they're up 3-2. Vancouver just won. Unless, let me just check. It was, uh, yeah, so they, they took it. Uh, despite being outshot 43 to 17, Jesus, Thatcher Demko stood on his head, man. Uh, but yeah, so that's looking possible there that Vegas takes Vancouver out game six, which will go Thursday night. Um, hopefully this podcast will be out by then. No promises there. But yeah, so Vegas in six. And yeah, I haven't watched much of the series. I haven't watched much of the playoffs since the Flames have been eliminated. I've kind of needed a, a bit of a detox to just fully emotionally reset myself uh so I'll, I'll try and tune in for game six and see how that goes but just looking at the shot count there 43 to 17 looks like Demko stood on his head and stole that one and um I mean hey it, it works for me you know one step closer for me having another bang on prediction uh as for the other series in the west I had Colorado taking Dallas down in five games and that's already wrong because Dallas leads a series 3-2 and <laughs> Quite frankly, it could have been a sleep if Dallas didn't collapse in game three. They had a lead and they gave it up. And Colorado had some life in the series before falling down 3-1. But then they exploded yesterday. A 5 nothing first period. And then overall a 6-3 win with Michael Hutchinson in the net considering Philip Gruberauer is injured. And uh, I don't think Pavel Francouz, by looking at his stats, has had the best round. And it was also back-to-back. So I think it was just to like as like a last-minute hope to try and inject some life into the boys. And it works. So it'll be interesting to see if on Wednesday the um, Avalanche go with uh, Pavel Francouz or if they go with Michael Hutchinson. And I'm not sure when Philip Grubauer comes back, but I'm sure he's sorely missed. And But yeah, so that prediction's looking wrong. The only way the Avs can win the series now is in seven. And I really hope they win because Nate McKinnon's a beauty man. This guy's a beast. Seeing him go on further would be really good he's one of the true stars in the game and seeing him 
go as far as he can. We'll make him more marketable and um, more of a star in the league and hopefully bring in more viewers as well. And it'll just be really good if um, both Vegas and Colorado advance because that'd be a series for the ages, man. That's two powerhouse teams, and it'd be it'd be really um, it'd be something else to see him go at it. And it it suck if we're robbed of that series because there's always that one series you look forward to, but an upset just causes you to to lose that series. You know, you're just you're not unfortunately able to watch that series because of some Cinderella team pulling it off an upset. So hopefully Dallas or Vancouver don't pull off the upsets and we do get Vegas, Colorado in the Western Conference Finals. And so going to the East, I had Tampa Bay in seven. They won in five. So, I mean, the right team, wrong number of games. Partially, I think that could be due to, I, again, didn't watch a series, but um, I wonder if it has anything to do with Yarrow Holak playing over Tuka Rask or if it was just the, um, if goaltending wasn't that much of a factor and, you know, Tampa just outskated them. But um, the, I didn't expect five, I expected seven. But uh, I'll take having the right team there. Um, and then my other prediction for the series that's currently going is Philly in seven, and they just won game five today in over double, no, just in first overtime. Scott Lawton, 12 minutes in, won the game for them. And game six runs on Thursday. So, yeah, <clears throat> this prediction could still go right for me if Philly wins the remaining two games. But I kind of hope it goes wrong for me because I, I, pre- I prefer to see the Islanders uh, go on and win the series and face the, the Lightning in the third round. And simply because I'm a big Barry Trotz fan. I was wanting him to come to Calgary when he left uh, – I think I mentioned this last episode too when he left Washington after winning the cup and I just think it'd be pretty funny if, you know, two years in a row or since winning the cup, Washington hasn't won a series. If New York could win three in two years, that'd be pretty good. Just a nice little kick in the ass for the Capitals there. Uh, but yeah, so those are my predictions so far for the second round of the NHL. Vegas in six and the Flyers in seven are still possible. Colorado in five is not possible, although Colorado still could win the series. And Tampa in, five, uh, Tampa in seven is the false prediction or incorrect prediction, but um, correct team, wrong number of games. So, yeah, now going on to predicting the second round of the NBA. Uh, the Raptors Celtics have already played two games, so I'll give you my prediction that I had written down before the series started. And one second-round series still hasn't been confirmed yet. That is the uh, who the Lakers will play. Um, that's they'll play the the winner of the Houston OKC game, which goes tomorrow. So, um, yeah. So we'll we'll go through them anyways, and we'll see. We'll see how close I get this time. So I mean, I got to back my boys, man. Even though we're down two nothing. Uh, and today's loss stung. Marcus Smart hitting five threes in a row. Him and Kemba Walker, I swear, like they had eight points through three quarters on three of 21 shooting. And then both of them combined for 27 points in the fourth. 27 of Boston's 32 points in the fourth, scored by Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker. <laughs> Fucking Smart hitting five straight threes, man. That's a tough one to swallow. Tough one to swallow for sure, especially because we had a 12-point lead and an 8-point lead going into the third. 
But uh, hey, we've been here before. Championship mentality, right? Um, last year against Milwaukee, down two nothing, and same type of situation. Really, just the games were reversed. One was a blowout, and one was a game that was there for the taking that you let slip away. So now it's about you know, um, it's about it's time to do some soul searching. You gotta you gotta find out who you truly are. If you have that heart of a champion, you will regroup and you will come back strong. And you'll take it the same way you did last year. You'll take it one game at a time. And if you can win game three, it's a 2-1 series. And then you take it from there. So big swing game coming up on Thursday now. Uh, 4.30 Mountain. It's going to be one to watch for sure. Because um, obviously if Boston wins that and goes up 3 nothing, it's very, 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 very uh, tough. And it's going to be a, an insane mountain to climb for the Raptors. But if you can grab one, you know, get some get some confidence going, get some hope, bring some life back in for the boys. We could we could make it a series. So I'm I'm back my boys, back them with the prediction I had at the start too. Raps in seven. These are two evenly matched teams. Even though Boston has Toronto's number this year, I still believe, man. I still believe, and I won't stop believing. And that's what the boys got to do too. Pascal Siakam, you got to start making some shots. Freddie, you had a terrible game from three today, you know, and it's like what Leo Routon says on the broadcast, you know, don't settle for jump shots. When they're not going in, drive the paint, get to the rim, get some contact, go to the line, get some freebies. We can't settle for jump shots. This Boston team is a good team, man. And to come back now, you got to win four or five. Just take it one game at a time, and I, I believe we can do it. We did it last year. What's stopping us from doing it this year? Maybe not having Kawhi, but still. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta have some hope. You gotta have some positivity. Uh, so moving to the other Eastern matchup: Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Miami won Game One, one fifteen, one hundred four. Jimmy Butler went off. Jimmy Butler's mad underappreciated, man. This guy's a fucking gamer. The thing he said today too, he's like, he doesn't, or yesterday or today, whatever quote came out, he didn't tell his family to come to the bubble because it's a business trip. This guy's just, um, he's one of those guys that you could just see you love when he's on your team, but you hate when you hate when he's not there. And apart from when Miami plays Toronto, I like seeing Jimmy Butler too well because this guy talks his talk, man. He talks his shit after too. He's he's just, he's a beauty. He's under underappreciated for sure. And uh, he had a solid game, game one. But I'm going to have to go Bucks in seven. In a series where teams match up evenly and closely, um, you always got to take the team with the better player. And that's Giannis. Giannis is MVP last year, Depoy this year. He still could win MVP this year too. You never know. And um, yeah, like in a close game where, where there's not much to separate the teams, you just got to take the team with the best player. And you know fair enough if the team with the best player loses and they don't go through like that means it's that means then that it was a good series to watch because I don't know about you guys but whenever I watch a series that doesn't involve my team I do root for the underdog just because it makes it more interesting first of all seeing the series go further so it's not as predictable as just filling out your bracket with the top team always advancing rather the it gives that that unpredictability you know that that wow factor, the fact it drives you in, brings you in closer to watching. And that's kind of that's kind of what I feel the playoffs are for, the, the unpredictability. So if Miami wins, you know, like fair enough credit to them, that means it's a good series. And quite frankly, it'd be something that'd be like fun to watch too, you know, the underdog taking out the number one seeded Bucks. But 
going to have to stick with Bucks and seven for that one. And now going to the West, the series that just got confirmed today, the Clippers and the Mavericks, or sorry, the Clippers and the Nuggets. Nuggets obviously just winning game seven today. It's a quick turnaround because they play on um, Thursday. They play Thursday against the Clippers who have been resting since Sunday. So two days extra rest. And um, yeah, like just looking at the matchups, even though Gary Harris is back, the Denver starting five in game seven today was Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic, right? The Clippers starting five. They got Reggie Jackson that starts at the point guard. And then um, your wings and your power forward. It's uh, Kawhi, PG, Marcus Morris, and um, uh, Zubac at the five. So who's going to guard Kawhi and PG for for Denver? That's the question there. Because Marcus Morris can also, as much as he's not a pleasant individual, he can still make buckets and, you know, he's still a good player. So it's a question of, who are you going to put on them? Because, uh, or are you going to stick with the same start, same starting five? Or will Tory Craig be inserted? Will uh, Will Michael Michael Porter Jr. be inserted? Will Paul Millsap retain his spot? Will Gary Harris, now that he's back, he's played the last two games, will he be inserted into the starting lineup, or do you run them off the bench? So the matchup game is a big question here, and when you factor in how dead, like if you watched Game Seven tonight you would have seen how dead tired both Utah and Denver were in the fourth quarter. I mean, such a low-scoring game, 80-78, and they were so dead tired, man. You could just see it by the expressions on their faces. Like, the Clippers have the better players. They have the, they've got more rest now as well. I feel like they take it in five with the Nuggets just simply because of fatigue. Fatigue is going to be the, the major major key here. And, um, and yeah, like the fatigue in the matchup game. The Clippers have the two best players in the series. Then after that, Jokic and Murray come into the equation. And goddamn, and Jamal Murray's a beast. This guy's beauty rep, rep in Canada. He's, he's insane. And um, I hope he's more of a household name now. Like, I know he didn't have the best game today. But he had two 50-point games and a 40-point game, too, this series. Like, just crazy, man. Just crazy. And, uh, yeah, I hope he gets the respect he deserves now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not putting respect on his team's name by saying Clippers in five, but um, I think I've reasoned it well enough, you know, just the fatigue and the fact that the Clippers do have the two best players in this series. And then um, going to the unconfirmed series, if OKC wins, I would say Lakers in four, uh, just because – I don't see them winning two. Like, the Lakers are going to be on a roll. They've already won four in a row. And again, because the the fatigue thing will be a big issue. The Lakers have been off since um, Saturday. And uh, the winner of this series, Houston and OKC, will have a quick turnaround, and they'll have to go again, most likely, for game one on Friday. So the Lakers would have had six days rest, whereas the advancing team only has one day rest. So, and uh, just... I personally think Houston's more talented than OKC. They got James Harden, who's a insane player, you know, top player in the league. So I, I, he could win a game on his own, which is why if Houston goes through uh, to the second round, I'd say Lakers in five. And it'd be funnier to watch, too, the small ball Houston against kind of the big Lakers. You know, JaVale McGee starts with AD. 
LeBron's no slouch at six eight two. He's pretty like tall, and then Danny Green and KCP. So it'd be an interesting matchup, and I, I'd honestly prefer to watch that. But it'd also be funny to see Chris Paul send Houston home, and to see Russell Westbrook get knocked out by um, his old team. But uh, but yeah, so I'd, I'd go Lakers in four against OKC, uh, or if they get Houston, then Lakers in five. And then the other predictions, uh, just to recap, from the East were Raps in seven and Bucks in seven, um, and uh, Clippers in five in the West. So, yeah, I mean, just again, talking about today's game, a big free throw discrepancy. Jason Tatum shot as many free throws as the entire Toronto Raptors team. And that's where you, you got to force the referee's hand too, man. Like you can't just settle for jump shots. You got to be aggressive and drive in the rim, drive, sorry, drive to the rim and create that contact forcing the ref to be put in that situation where, you know, they're calling because the aggressive team will always get more calls. So you got to make sure you're aggressive. You cannot, I cannot stress this enough. You cannot settle for jump shots when your jump shots aren't going. You got to create the opportunities for yourself. So drive ball movement, moving around, you know, get drive and get that contact, just get to the free throw line. It's going to be huge now to turn around. Marcus Gasol needs to make some shots. OJ Ananobi did a sick job making shots today. Four, I think four for five from three, or he might have missed a couple more later, but he had 20 points, you know, a new playoff career high for him. Coming into the series, you knew Boston was going to leave him and Marcus Gasol open and focus more on Pascal, Fred, and Kyle Lowry. And OG did his job today, but um, Pascal didn't. Marcus Gasol didn't. Fred really didn't either. So, um, we need lots of players to step up, and um, I have faith in them, though. You know, they were in this situation a year ago, or oh, in last year's playoffs, and oh, yeah, they had Kawhi, but, you know, championship mentality is a real thing. The heart of a champion is a real thing. You know what it takes to win. You can go down deep into the trenches. You can find it within yourself to go deep down, and you can make it, you can make it work. You can find a way... And that's that's what we got to do now. That's um that's plain and simple. We gotta we gotta go deep down, find a way, do some soul searching over the next few days. I have the utmost confidence in the coach of the year, Nick Nurse, that he'll do this. When we were playing zone defense, it was working, but you can't play zone the whole game. So it's nice to get that in there. But you gotta like you know man to man coverage, and it's tough when you have Marcus uh, Marcus Smart draining five straight threes, going six from eleven, six for 11 from three after he went five for nine in game one. Some quick maths. That's 11 for 20 from three in two series or in two games in the series. He's shooting above 50%, 55% to be exact. That's tough. Like, and just basing it off percentages and statistics, like this guy was like, a, I think 34%. I saw the statistic pop up during the game today. In in the season in the playoffs, the two numbers were like thirty four and twenty nine percent. I don't know which one belongs to which, and I'm not going to fact check myself right now. But he's he's a thirty four percent shooter in one of them, and a twenty nine percent shooter in one of them. And in this series right now, he's shooting fifty five percent from three. Statistically, that is very unlikely to carry on. But games aren't played based on statistics; they're played based on real life and what happens on the court. So you you gotta like I know it's tough, but you gotta you gotta take those punches and you gotta roll with it, and you have to respond offensively. 
and that's where we lacked. It looked like when they went on the run, it kind of became deflated. You know, no movement, no ball movement. It's simple. Run out the shot clock, go for a late pick and roll, pick and pop, you know, uh, just try a step back three. None of it really worked. You know, you got to drive. You got to put pressure on their defense, wear them down a bit, and just, you know, um, push the pace to push the pace, transition, fast break, and pressure them on D and, you know, stay with your man. Hopefully Marcus Smart does not continue shooting 55% from three. And we could be looking at a different, either way, it'll be um, a huge game on Thursday. We're going to be looking at a different series. It's either going to be we're on the verge of getting swept or we've cut their series lead in half. And I hope it's the the latter, but um, I guess we shall see because Brad Stevens himself is no slouch. And the Boston Celtics are a tremendous team too. So um, it'll be it'll be a good one. It's going to be stressful, but it'll be a good one for sure. Now on to the most exciting part of this episode: my water break. Just joking, but uh, yeah, the Flames off-season preview. So this one took a while to get over. Uh. It was uh, not the way we lost, or sorry, not the number of games we lost in, rather the way we lost that's just very difficult to digest, and it still is. Like, vividly, I have the image in my head of the 3 nothing goal and Rasmus Anderson just pounding his chest and just, like, putting his arms out and just that celebration, and then the downfall that follows that. And... uh it was very difficult. I turned the game off after the second period and I just came to my room and I was just trying my hardest to go to sleep and just, you know, wake up and it's just a dream, you know, the seven goal comeback by the stars. It's just a dream. It's not something that actually happened, but unfortunately it is. And where do we go from here now? So like I remember saying, Going into game five, we're going to find out what this team is truly about. We were 11 seconds away from a 3-1 lead. A bad clearance from Elias Lindholm. The Stars keep the puck in at the line. Joe Pavelski scores a tip-in. And it's tie game going OT. We have a solid chance in overtime. Tobias Reeder fans on a, a, a beautiful setup by Michael Backlund. That was, if that goes in, again, we have a 3-1 series. That was probably our only chance in overtime. Uh, going and then I think uh, with five minutes left in the first OT, John Klingberg takes a shot, it's tipped in by Alexander Radulov, and the Stars tie the series. And they outshot us something like 35 to 10 in the third period in OT. They completely dominated us and outplayed us. And I remember saying, now we'll see what this team is truly made of. You know, all the talk that they learned from last year's playoff um, woes, last year's horrendous embarrassment at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche. So I was like, we'll see what team comes out to play for game five. Is it going to be the team that we all know or have they truly learned and have they truly figured out what to do? And it was game five was horrible. Cam Talbot held us in that game. And it was 1-1, and then John Klingberg scores a goal from the point like a minute something into the third period. And we hit a couple of posts, but so did they. And it just it, it was a game that did not instill any confidence 
into the fans of the Calgary Flames. Like, I, I think I can speak for the whole fan base when I say that game just didn't give you an ounce of confidence that this team was going to win the series. And uh, like, I remember going into that series and when I was talking to other people about it, I said, I'd be happy if we put up a competitive series and take the stars to six or seven, but it's competitive. And while the scores through the first five games suggested it was competitive because they were all one goal games apart from game three, which was a two nothing shutout for us games one to through five were all one goal games. And it was, while it was competitive that way, the stars outplayed us in games two games, three game four and game five, quite frankly, it should have been 4-1 by then. Like, they should have won game three. But that's the game where Talbot had a shutout and, you know, we we stole one. And we were so close to going up 3-1. But then it's about how do you respond? How do you respond? And you don't you didn't respond well. You folded. You um, had a terrible game five where the scoreline flatters you. You had a then okay third period. They were pretty bad for periods one and two. And what gets me to is what Jeff Ward said post game in game five. He said he sensed nervousness in game five. And his reasoning for that was because the team was, the team felt they were one loss away from being on the brink of elimination. That So you're nervous about being one loss away from elimination, but you're not actually nervous about, like you surely you'd be more nervous about actually being on the brink of elimination if it was an elimination game or you know you look at the other side and you look at it that you are one win away from pushing the other team to the brink of elimination and they didn't do that and that's the that's the annoying part and it's it's like all that talk from a year ago and you didn't learn anything like and um you go into game 6 Great, and uh, Manjapani tips it in, one nothing. We get a power play. Gaudreau banks it in off Kadoba, two nothing. I'm getting pretty giddy, you know. I'm like, I'm, I'm yelling. I'm like fist bumping. I'm like, I'm getting pretty hype. And then uh, an odd man rush the other way. Raz makes it three nothing. And that Selly, this guy looks into the camera, and you're like, Raz, you fucking beauty. Let's go, three nothing. You know, we're going to game seven. Let's go. And then. Like, Milan Lucic with the stupid, stupid penalty, man. That's not a penalty in the regular season, let alone the playoffs, but you cannot let the referees have that chance, have that chance to call out a penalty. We had three goals before they had three shots, and you've now given them a lifeline. And, like, it's not the momentum changer, per se, because it's not like Dallas took the game to us right after that. Like, no, fair enough. They scored on the on the power play, and it was, it was Miro Heiskinen. And, I mean, just a, just a sidetrack here. Miro Heiskinen is so good, man. This guy's 2017 third overall draft pick. But he's so underrated. Like, he's so underrated, man. This guy is so good. He's so smooth, silky smooth skater. He's, you know, he's up on the rush one second. He scored a breakaway goal against us in game two. Like he's he's up on the rush one second, and then the next second he's back defending when you're on the rush. And it's like, dude, this guy's always on the ice too. This guy's just like he was involved on six of the first nine goals for Dallas in the playoffs. And it's like, oh my god, man! Like this guy's so good and so underrated. And in my opinion, he's better than uh, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. 
And um, I don't think he's getting his just dues. But if Dallas does make it to the conference finals, he will get that praise from the from the Canadian media. And once you get that praise from the Canadian media, that's when you become a household name in hockey. Because the American media, they don't care too much about hockey, so they're not going to be they're not going to be pumping your tires. Nobody, no neutrals pay attention to Canadian me- or to hockey in American media. Whereas here, you got in Canada, you know, you go on TSN. You'll see the headlines. They'll have Miro Heiskin in the headlines. People will say, who the hell's Miro Heiskin? They'll look at him. They'll watch him play. They'll be like, damn, this kid's good. And this kid's got multiple Norris trophies coming up in his future. And if, if he doesn't win Norris trophies, the NHL's a scam. This guy, like, I guarantee this guy will have won at least a few Norris trophies in his career. He's just too good. He's way too good. But, um, yeah, I got sidetracked there, praising the enemy. But, yeah, so Lucic, Lucic does that, and we we give him a lifeline, they score. Okay, no big deal. We play out the rest of the period. We had a few chances ourselves. You know, could have been 4-1, maybe even 5-1. Dobby made some good saves for them. Okay, fair enough. We enter the, the first intermission with a 3-1 lead. All right. Start of the second period. We're flat. You know, they're all over us a bit. They get a goal um, off a failed clearance attempt, clearing attempt that we should have cleared. Cam Talbot put the puck into Johnny Gaudreau's skates, I think, or no, he passed it. The puck skipped over Gaudreau's stick, went to the point. The point man gave it to Dennis Gurianov, who's circling out. Gurianov shoots it, goes, um, I think, low blocker, high glove, or sorry, low blocker, high pad, just that little, that little opening between the two. It is one Cam Talbot should have had, but, you know, okay, he was screened. And considering what he had done the whole series, you can give him, cut him a bit of slack on that softie, even though he let in a couple softies in game two. And then just a minute later, and I think this one got credit to Gurianov too, it was a shot from the point, maybe took a redirection, but it like slid through the pads and um, slides through Cam Talbot. And it's a very soft goal. It's the softest of the softest that he let in. And it sucks because, you know, you want to give Cam that benefit of the doubt because this guy, he was their best player the whole playoff run. And during our best game of the playoffs, he lets in two softies in the opening minutes of the second. And our three-goal lead has now evaporated. And what what was done next is what truly pisses me off and what, what caused me to get very um, emotionally distraught. And this is why I needed to kind of, um, I guess, recover from from the series loss. So Jeff Ward, instead of calling a timeout like like uh, Rick Bonus does when Dallas goes down 3 nothing and lets in three straight, we've let in three straight. Instead of calling a timeout, Jeff Ward decides... He's going to take Cam Talbot out of the game. Our best player, the guy who's led us this whole playoffs, because of him, we are where we are. You're going to take him out of the game. You're going to put in a cold David Riddick, whose only action in the last six months was 30 minutes against Edmonton in a warm-up game. Are you serious? Like, you got to be kidding me, man. And then he uh, Riddick comes in cold. He lets in a goal. Then Ward calls a timeout. Like, what the hell's the point of that? Why not just call the timeout first? Allow Cam to be in there and fight, you know. Let him fight for his team and let his team fight for him. 
Instead, Reddick comes in. You deflate the poor guy's hopes, too. His confidence is gone. Now it's a question of how will he come back because he's still signed for next year. How's he going to come back to training camp? Is he going to be confident? Is he going to be able to shake that off? I don't know because then you pull him at the end of the second after he's allowed three goals and it's 6-3 and then you bring Cam Talbot back in and that's just um, – that just shows like Jeff Ward is way out of his depth as a head coach, as a head coach, and um, he is just kind of he's not suited for that. And I'm going to be very um, brutally honest here. I hope he doesn't uh, get the head coaching job here. You know, he said in the interview he wouldn't mind like he would consider coming back in an associate coach um, role if the Flames go another way for head coach. And God damn it, man, Brad Trillium, you have Gerard Gallant, you have Peter Laviolette, and you got Bruce Boudreaux all available. Please, man, go for one of those three. You don't understand the power of having an established coach. Bruce Boudreaux, his flaw, he can never get out of the second round. The Flames, we can never get into the second round. Gerard Gallant did a great job in Florida. They won the division title. I'm pretty sure the next year was the year he got fired. Could be wrong there, but he got fired. And then he got hired by the... Yeah, it was in 16-17. So 15-16, he won the division title with Florida. 16-17, he got fired because then he got picked up by Vegas for 17-18, their first year, and he takes them to the cup finals. 18-19, third in the division, albeit they choke a 3-1 lead to San Jose, but still, he's a good coach. And him being on the market... You know, you got to go after him. And Peter Lavila, I sang his praises earlier. You know, he's taken three different teams to the cup finals. We need somebody established. Enough of these Glenn Gullitsons, these Bill Peters, and don't even, like Jeff Ward is better than Gullitson and Peters. But don't go down that route again. You got to go for an established option here. And there's three huge, huge, huge targets out available there on the free market you got to scoop one of them up and if jeff ward falls back to an associate coach role let go of ryan huska because ryan huska is terrible or keep him too i don't know but uh coaching i'm not too optimistic about because knowing the calgary flames they are going to stick with jeff ward and um it's something i'm trying to mentally prepare myself for but I won't be happy with it at all. I don't I don't think um, he's well-suited to be a head coach, and Game 6 showed that. That's Bush League, um, pulling your goalie, then calling a timeout, then reinserting your goalie. That's just... That's, uh, that's tough, and um, that's just... Yeah, like, my stumbling upon my words here just shows, like, the haunting it's doing in my brain right now. It's not a fun memory to revisit, but yeah, I'd, I'd be really um, upset if we stick with Jeff Ward. I hope we go with one of the targets that's more um, more established, but um, knowing the Calgary Flames, that probably will not happen. And then, yeah, so that's, um, I guess, the way game six went down and unfolded. And uh, first of all, Eric Francis, too. This guy has been trying to run Johnny Gaudreau out of town. Get the hell out of here, man. You need to go back east. Um, so what I would do if I'm, if I was the GM, so our lines, you know, going through our first line, man, like ignore their point production because most majority of that came on, on the power play. Uh, and I'm not saying power play production is not important, 
because you need that, but you also need your line to be going five on five. And when you're not going five on five, like you're not you're not doing your job because the majority of the games are going to be played five on five. If you can't score five on five and you're getting scored on your liability and it's this line has not worked since the all-star game all-star break in 2019 so it's a year and a half and we're still trotting out 13 23 and 28 Gaudreau Monaghan and Lindholm and it just doesn't work because Gaudreau Gaudreau gets hounded and the focus goes on to Gaudreau simply because he's the puck carrier on the line the centerman Sean Monaghan is not the puck carrier and that's you want your one C to be the puck carrier, so it's like pretty pretty silly like to keep putting them together. You need to put control with a puck carrying center because everybody and their dog knows that Sean Monahan is going to dump the puck in once he crosses the red line, or he's going to look for Johnny Gaudreau. He very rarely, if ever, carries the puck along the line or over the line himself, and thus the focus goes on to Gaudreau. Because Gaudreau has been deferred to carry the puck. And Gaudreau then loses the puck because he's afraid of contact. And, you know, fair enough. He got slashed to hell back in 2016. And when Sean Monaghan dumps it in, Gaudreau's not going to be in hard on the forecheck because that's not his game. He's not that type of a player. He's not that big. And Lindholm can only do so much on the forecheck. Like, this line, it just, it worked for half a season at the start of 1819. And Gaudreau and Monaghan have worked for four, for like quite a few years before this, but just because you've worked in the past does not mean you'll work now. And that's something that I hope whoever the incoming coaches, if we keep both of these guys, uh, Gaudreau and Monaghan, I hope that's something the incoming coach, whether it be Jeff Ward or whoever, I hope it's something they understand and it's something they're willing to break up and tinker with in the preseason. Because yeah, like they just... They were not good. Um, Matthew Kachuk as well, you know. Underwhelming stats-wise in six games, he had two points. Um, he, he is our emotional leader. He takes us through the trenches. Uh, sucks that he had a concussion and he missed the last four games. But again, like he, he wasn't the best production-wise. And he's got to step it up next year too. Backlund had a good postseason, you know. He had a good um, pre uh pre-lockdown run as well where he he got his point totals back up to be respectable he had a good um good playoffs as well four goals and um like there's not much you can ask of him and I, I don't like how people call him the ideal third line center like this guy puts up a solid 45 to 50 points every year who the hell is a third line center doing that buddy most second lines don't even do that like you know what I mean most second-line centers are putting up like 40 points themselves and Backlund's giving you high-end second-line production and you got people calling for him to be a third-line center. Like, get out of here, man. Put some respect on this guy's name. This guy, he is like a key cog for us, man. Uh, number two PK, number two power play, number two center. Guy plays all the hard defensive minutes. He's a second-line center. It would be a luxury it would be a major luxury if you can call Michael Backlund your third line center. So like, you know, respect him a little bit. And uh, so then Andrew Manchipani, you know, uh, he's, um, he's like a water bug, you know, he had a good breakout regular season, the playoffs. I would say he, he took some dumb penalties occasionally, like the one uh, against Winnipeg. He took a pretty stupid one then. 
and uh i like shit like he's good 17 goals he's gonna and uh he got screwed over with the contract situation last year and um i hope he you know he makes his money this year on whether it's a bridge deal or whatever or long-term deal i hope he can get him signed long-term because he's a solid middle six option he can play both wings you know he can play the power play i'm pretty sure he can play the penalty kill too He's a good check-in winger. He's hard on the forecheck. He's used to playing tough defensive minutes now after playing this year mostly with Michael Backlund. Um, he didn't have, like, the best playoffs, but, you know, he was there giving it his all. His skill level is is good for what he is, and, um, you know, I hope we keep him long-term. Uh, now the third line was the uh, best line in the playoffs majority of the games. So. And it's tough because, you know, Lucic had a really good playoffs, and... It sucks because Lucic is um, his, uh, his contract sucks, man. It's terrible. But he's a good guy, and you get that sense from the interviews. So you want to cheer for him as a person. And him starting the playoffs with a five-game point streak and, you know, hitting everything that moves to. It was just – it was so nice to see. And then he takes – but he just took stupid penalty after stupid penalty. And in the end, it did cost us a bit. And, um, you know, it's uh, it sucks because um, – He's a guy you want to cheer for. He's a good guy. And um, although his contract sucks, he's uh, he's somebody for for sure you want to cheer for. Um, then we go uh, to 93. And this is my most, uh, like, I love Sam Bennett, man. This guy's a gamer. When the going gets tough, when the games are hard, you know who's going to be there? Sam Bennett. Nobody else might not be there. But Sam Bennett will be there. This guy played with a torn tricep, torn left tricep. That's why he's not taking faceoffs. He still had five goals, let our team in goals. I'm pretty sure he let our team in points too. He's just like, if this taught you one thing, these playoffs, it's play this guy at center and play him with fucking proper skilled line mates. I'm not saying that Sam Bennett's going to come out and give you 80, 90 points, be a, a number one center all-star like that anymore. No, that ship has sailed. But I'm saying if you play him up or the up in the lineup, give him some special teams, and you trust him to play center with your skilled players, he could give you between 40 to 60 points. And I'm being dead serious when I say that. This guy, he, along with Matthew Kachuk, in my opinion, are the heart and soul of this team. Them two and Rasmus Anderson. And Sam Bennett said it himself in his in his uh, exit interview. He loves playing center. Brad Tree Living has been reluctant to part ways with Sam Bennett because this is the type of Sam Bennett you want to get in the regular season. You know how you're going to get him in the regular season? Play him at center with competent line mates. His first season, he played majority of the year left wing with Michael Backlund and Michael Froelich. He had 18 and 18 for 36 points. Fair enough. You know, you're insulating him into the league as a rookie player. Next year, Glenn Galdson comes, plays him at center with Troy Brower and Chris Versteeg. Brower's out of the league, or he played for St. Louis after being out of the league at the start of the season. You don't know if Brower's going to get another shot. The Versteeg's already out of the league and retired. And then later, Brower got replaced by Chase on, who's now on Edmonton's fourth line. So, and then 17 18. Bennett's playing left wing with Mark Jankowski 
and started of the year, Yaramir Yager, Yager on his last legs out of the league. Jankowski after this year, most likely out of the league, maybe gets a PTO or a league minimum contract from a team that wants to, um, that needs to fill out their forwards. And uh, later on in the year, he was playing with Curtis Lazar, who's also like a tweener, gets some NHL games, mostly in the AHL now. And then uh, eighteen nineteen James Neal, who uh, we won't talk too much about because, you know, he's a, uh, He's an oiler now, and he was on their fourth line in the playoffs too. And his scoring touch was non-existent with the Flames. And Mark Jankowski, who, like I said, he's on his last legs in the league. And um, this year, he played on the fourth line with some combination of Mark Jankowski, Tobias Reeder, and Zach Ronaldo. So Jankowski, we've spoken enough on. Reeder, a PTO guy who... Yeah, he does his job, but he's no more than a fourth-line left winger. And Zach Ronaldo, even though I love his energy and he's such, he seems just like such a good guy in the locker room and a good teammate, he's not a skilled hockey player. So, like, you can shit on Bennett all you want for his regular season production, but matter of the fact is he just has not been given the right line mates to succeed. And um, if you want to see him succeed, play him at center and play him with skilled line mates. And... I hope if the playoffs have taught us one thing, it's to do that. And um, moving on to his winger, Dylan Dubé, tremendous breakout run from Dubé, you know, just great. And uh, I hope um, he can extend that into the regular season and become a solid 40, 50 point guy that can move up the lineup and play top six minutes as well. He's already on the second power play. He can kill penalties too. He's a speedy guy, you know, um, solid hometown boy, Dylan Dubé. Uh, he had a solid breakout playoffs and, um, you know, he slowed down a bit towards the end and hopefully he can carry the momentum over into training camp and to the next regular season and just better himself as a player. And um, the fourth line, like Jankowski and Reeder, they are what they are. I wouldn't mind bringing Tobias Reeder back. Uh, Mark Jankowski, he's a 1.75 million qualifying offer. I don't see us giving that to him considering what happened this year. And um, I'd be surprised if he gets a contract, a guaranteed one. I expect him to get more of a PTO type thing. And um, Doc Ryan, a tremendous Swiss uh, Swiss knife, you know, Swiss utility knife. He can move up and down the lineup. He can play PK. He can play power play for you. Good right-hand shot, face-off. Just a smart player overall. And um, if we have him on the fourth line as a center, it's a luxury because he is a third-line center in my opinion. And defensively, I hope we see it re-sign TJ Brody. I don't see the need to bring back Travis Hamannick. The playoffs showed we don't really miss him that much. And this year, he, was, he wasn't that good. Um, he's fallen off quite a bit, and players of his play style fall off quite a bit. And, um, you know, of the UFAs, uh, I don't think it's a good idea to bring him back. It's more smart to focus on TJ Brody. Uh, Giordano is what he is. You know, he's our captain. He is, he's fallen a a step behind and I feel like you got to limit his ice time now but uh but yeah I'd say bring Brody back to keep the two of them together um second pairing you know Hannafin Henderson they played well together in the playoffs and Hannafin played his best hockey this entire season when paired with Rasmus Anderson that's a good pairing and I would I would recommend keeping them together and um you know, have that as your as your 1B type thing. Increase their ice time while reducing Mark Giordano's ice time. Um, the third pairing was two UFAs, Eric Gustafsson and Derek Forbert. And, you know, they're a good pairing. But um, I don't know what, what they'll cost on the open market. Gustafsson had 60 points last season. 
not the best this season, or sorry, not as much this season. And he's a good power play Q, QB, but um, it'll be interesting to see what he demands on the open market and whether or not we'll be willing to pay that. So um, he's a wild card, you know, if we can fit him in, I'd totally bring him back to play him on the third pair and number one power play. But that's totally a money factor there. And um, Forbert, you know, he's 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 just one of those rough and tumble guys. Like um, they're off the boards and out. You know, he's not that. He's a lot of turnovers off of his stick. He scored a goal, which was good. I mean, but um, I, I wouldn't really want to bring him back. Instead, like you know, if we don't bring Gustafson back, I'd run with uh, Yusuf Balamaki, Oliver Shillington, who I don't think is getting a good sh- a good. Um, a fair shot in Calgary. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he asked for a trade out of Calgary, but um, I'd give Shillington, Valamaki, and Connor Mackey, rotate them in and out on the third pairing and um, see how that goes. I'd uh, obviously David Riddick still signed for next year. So, um, you know, he'll be back and we'll, I hope we bring back Cam Talbot. He had a good season and I think he deserves um, a two-year contract at least to, to to see if he can carry that over and you know give us a good regular season um I wouldn't actively shop anybody but I wouldn't say players are off um, limits either I would say um that uh maybe Rasmus Matthew Elias um, those are the guys, the use of Alamaki too. Those are the guys that it take like an arm and a leg to, to pry out of Calgary. I wouldn't say they're completely off limits, but I would say it take a lot, a lot, a lot to get them out. And I'm not on, I think if we trade control, we're much worse than we are right now. So it's not a good idea to trade him. You lose any trade, you trade him in, unless you trade him for like a number one center, such as like a Jack Eichel, if Eichel demands out of Buffalo. But, um, yeah, you hear it's not a smart idea to trade Gaudreau. If you were wanted to trade somebody, to trade Monaghan would be a smart idea, but it'd be selling low on his value. So, like, I wouldn't say actively shop anybody, but listen, you know, listen to guys that have value, such as Monaghan and Noah Hannafin. I feel like they have more perceived value across the league than they actually do watching them on a day-to-day basis but I wouldn't actively um, pursue any or actively shop players. I'd listen, I'd listen. And if you can get a combination of pieces that can maybe get you a once a number one center, because that's something we, we truly need, then I would, um, I would look at moving those pieces, such as like, if you can manufacture, if Jack Eichel demands out of Buffalo and you can manufacture a trade of like, Good Monaghan, Hannafin, a few other pieces, mate, or maybe Goodrow instead. Like that's the only way I would move him. Monaghan, I can move for lesser pieces and move Elias Lindholm to center. Noah Hannafin, I think he has lots of value around the league because he's still really young. But um, but yeah, I wouldn't um look to blow it up. I would look to maybe re reshape the lines, separate Monaghan and Goodrow and see how that goes, like, if you're bringing them both back and, and hopefully bring back an established coach, such as a Gerard Gallant, Bruce Boutreau, or Peter Laviolette, and, um, you know, see how it see how it goes because this core is running out of chances. And um, if you run it back one more year, I don't think it's the worst-case scenario because 
a lot of the core is still in their prime or entering their prime apart from Mark Giordano. And I don't think a full-blown rebuild will get us anywhere right now either. And um, because of the more, like the the world uh, the world um, uh, economic standpoint with COVID, many owners aren't getting the money they want to get. So with the cap staying flat, it's hard to make drastic changes right now. So I, I don't necessarily think running it back with the same core group of players is the worst idea, especially if you tinker with the lines and you can find some new chemistry, like maybe Bennett with Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Dubé, you know, Kachuk with uh, Goudreau as well, or Kachuk with Bennett. Just find find something new that makes you more dangerous and more, um, you know, more well-rounded. But um, the playoff loss showed that we need – to run different lines at least and um it showed us who who some keepers are and who some guys you should let go if you get if you get the right offer or you get more than what you're looking for and uh yeah so that's that's about it for the flames offseason preview i don't know when we'll be seeing them play next the rumored date is november 17th for training camps and december 1st for the start of season that seems really optimistic in my opinion I think we see something more in January. And uh, and yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how the next few months transpire for the Flames. Uh, we'll, we'll keep talking about it on here and I'll keep you guys updated with my opinions on on whether the moves that they do eventually pull off are, are the right ones or the wrong ones. And um, yeah, so then I guess we'll shift focus here to the Premier League, which starts up next Saturday, September the 12th. And just some quick transfer talks. So Donny van de Beek is set to sign to United from Ajax. And a uh, good signing, you know, brings in squad depth. I don't think he'll make it'll fit into the starting 11 because I'm not sure if he can play the number six holding midfield role because Bruno, Bruno's set playing the number 10, the, you know, the free roam role. And Paul Pogba is playing the number eight box to box role. Nemanja Matic was sat in there and had a, a great fit there as the number six, allowing both Pogba and Bruno to flourish in the role in the system. So I don't know if Donny van de Beek can play that number six, because if you play him in the number 10 or the number eight, Paul Pogba cannot play holding midfield. And I don't think Bruno Fernandes can either. Can Donny van de Beek play in the front three? Can he rotate in and out with them? I don't know. I haven't scouted him enough to know that. I know All I know is I've played with him with Ajax on FIFA, and he's pretty good. But I played with him in the in the number 10 role. But if he's bought for that purpose to relieve Bruno of his duties, a much better choice than our previous options of Andreas Pereira, Jesse Lingard, and Juan Mata. So um, a very good signing. He's very excited to come to United as well. And um, it'll hopefully be a good one. He'll be a, I think he'll be a bench player first. But, um, you know, with injuries, with match fatigue, um, fixture congestion, he'll be getting lots and lots of first-team football. And uh, we're rumored to be going after Dayut Umpamakano. And uh, I played a Red Bull Leipzig uh, career mode, and this guy's a beast on FIFA. So, and I saw him in the Champions League quarterfinals and semifinals, and he's he's honestly really good. Um, I think the rumor is we're going to put a bid of 40, 39 million pounds, which is 42 million euros, which is his release clause for next summer 
And I doubt Leipzig let him go for that because that's what they'll get for him next summer. So if you want to get him this summer, you probably have to go a bit more. And the rumor cost was fifty million pounds, and that's worth it for him. He's twenty-one, and he's just going to get better, and he'll be a solid partner for Harry Maguire. Len leaving Lindelof and Bailly as your three-four, which is which is a pretty good three-four. And um, yeah, that's so nothing on the Jaden Sancho front. I mean. I don't know, like, if Dortmund wants to sell it, like, Dortmund doesn't want to sell him, and, you know, the rumored price of the 80, I think 80 million, then add-ons and add-ons, adding up to 120. Like, the truth is, United need a right winger. I know Mason Greenwood had a great season, but after Greenwood, Rashford, and Martial, it goes to Dan James, Ojina Gallo, and, you know, then you're into the Jesse Lingards. If you can get uh, Jaden Sancho wand of Greenwood like Greenwood will be on the bench and you have a front four that you can rotate based on whoever's going and you look at how City's done it with uh, Aguero Sterling and um, Aguero Sterling the Rian Mares that they had Leroy Sané before they sold him to Bayern and Bernardo Silva Gabriel Jesus it's okay to have good players coming off the bench as long as they know like and you know you keep it fluid you don't have a set 11. You roll with whoever's going best. And if we can get Jaden Sancho, it'd be a big ad, but it's it's not looking too likely right now. And uh, late rumors of Thiago coming. And um, if he does, that'd be really good. But um, I don't believe it. I think it's just Bayern linking us to him to then thus get the narrative out that United are going for him. So maybe push Liverpool to fully complete the signing. And, um, yeah, so City as well signed Nathan Ake for Ferran Torres or Fernand Torres. I don't remember what his first name was, but he signed as well, taking the number 21 shirt. And um, I still think they need to shore up their second center backs. Well, they need to shore up more on center back because Nathan Ake isn't really the answer. He's a good um, backup option for them specifically. I think they might have gotten Kaladu Koulibaly, but um, I guess we'll see. I saw that they put in a bid for him, but I'm not 100% sure if that's accurate or not. And obviously, like, the Leo Messi talk, where's he going to go? City and PSG seem like the most uh, logical places, but I saw on Reddit that um, Juventus are considering it to team him up with Ronaldo, and that'd be something. But, uh, yeah, we'll have more on, on the Prem and just soccer in general. On next week's podcast, we'll have predictions for the Premier League. It'll be tough because the transfer window's on until October something. I think October 12th or October 17th. And the season starts on September 12th. So it'll be, um, you know, there'll still be some moving parts and some changing players. But uh, we'll give it a rough shot next week of predictions. And, um but yeah, that's overall, that's everything for today. Cover, you know, some predictions, uh, a really deep talk about the Flames and a long talk about the Flames and what I would do. And yeah, so this one should be out and hopefully by the end of this week. And um, then if there's any questions you guys have or anything you guys want me to answer, it's uh, Top Waffler on Instagram top waffler podcast and um you can send in emails if you want we'll put the email in the description you know the podcast is available on spotify apple podcasts and um 
you know, or you can type in the Buzzsprout RSS feed and you can listen off the website there. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for listening. You know, if you're, if you're into sports or you just, you just like being seduced by my voice, uh, (laughs) um, just keep listening and, um, you know, share it around. That'll be cool. If you, if you know anyone else that would enjoy listening to this and, um, if there's any like questions or anything you guys specifically want me to address, you know, Instagram DMS and, um, I'll get to it in the next episode, but yeah, thanks for watching and, uh, or watching. Thanks for listening. And, um, you know, I'll talk to you guys next week.